evidence and answers. Confucianism, also known as Ruism, is generally described as a tradition, a philosophy, a religion, a way of governing, or simply a way of life. What do you know about this Chinese philosopher known as Confucius? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat is teaching us about Confucius, the religion, and his philosophy. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here is our host, Pat Zucran, with part two of his teaching on Confucius. Only then can we truly love our fellow men and live the righteous life that God has called us to. So Confucius taught a great ethical system with many values and virtues that we would agree with. But the question to ask is this, where do these values come from and how do we know they are right? Well, for the Christian, they come from God himself, the source of truth and life. And the moral code is based on the teachings and character of our God, who is a morally just, righteous, holy, and good being. So that is the basis of our values and of our moral law. So for the Christian, living the righteous life and becoming a man of great and high moral character begins first with a relationship with God. Now let's take a look at the nature of man as taught by Confucius and compare that with the teachings of the Bible. Confucian philosophy is built on the foundational belief in the goodness of human nature. The Analect states, The Master said, Is goodness indeed so far away? If we really want goodness, we should find that it was at our side. Confucius further taught all individuals are capable of attaining the highest virtue. He stated, has anyone ever managed to do good with his whole might even as long as the space of a single day? I think not. Yet I for my part have never seen anyone give up such an attempt because he had no strength to go on. In other words, all individuals are capable through self-effort to attain the ideal standard of goodness. Confucian disciple Mencius, who followed Confucius, further develops this, stating, man's nature is naturally good, just as water naturally flows downward. This innate goodness could be developed and actualized through education, self-reflection, and self-discipline. Study in the six arts, which includes ceremony, music, archery, charioteering, writing, and mathematics would develop one's character. However, despite man being naturally good as Confucius believed, Confucius faced reality honestly. He questioned it if it was possible to ever truly attain the level of the true gentleman. And Confucius stated, I for my part have never yet seen one who really cared for goodness, nor one who really abhorred wickedness. He said of himself, as to being a divine sage or even a good man, far be it from me to make any such claims. His disciple further stated, The master said, The ways of the true gentleman are three, but I myself have met with success in none of them. However, we must ask this question. If man by nature is good, and as Mencius stated, does good as naturally as water flows downstream, then why can we not attain what should be so natural to us, that ideal standard of goodness? 
Well, the Bible is built on a contrasting view of human nature. It teaches that man is created in the image of God and was originally good. However, because of the fall in Genesis 3, man is now sinful and in rebellion toward God. Therefore, his natural tendency is to disobey the commands of God and is driven to please himself. Paul states in Romans 7 of the struggle that each person has. He says, I have the desire to do good, but I cannot carry it out. As Confucius observed, no man is able to live up to the standards of the true gentleman. Or as the Bible teaches, no one can live up to God's commands because man's nature is sinful and in need of redemption and transformation. So Confucius thought man is basically good. The Bible teaches that man is a fallen being and therefore naturally sinful and left unto himself. He will do what is the best in self-interest. So according to the Bible, good education is a positive forward step helping man change, but it stops short. And also, what are you teaching? You've got to be teaching truth based on the teachings of the author of truth, which would be God. Educated people without a good moral compass only leads to a more deviant kind of society. Now, all believers in Christ know the value of learning the Word of God. Transformation begins when our minds are transformed by the truths taught in God's Word. So for this reason, education has also been valued in Christian communities. But man is also in need of a heart transformation. Life transformation occurs when a person enters into a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. One's nature is transformed because God's Spirit then indwells an individual. Now, though the Christian is not capable of living out the principles of God's law flawlessly, is not left to himself to live a holy life, God provides each one of us the indwelling of His Holy Spirit to enable man to live in obedience to God's law. So that is a key difference between the teachings of Confucius and that of the Bible. Confucius taught that man is basically good and does good naturally, whereas the Bible teaches that man was created good, but he is a fallen being and therefore sinful in nature and in need of mind and heart transformation in order to live out the commands of God. Now, the next key area in the teachings of Confucius is that of relationships. Central to Confucius' teachings is relationships and social roles. According to Confucius, there are five great relationships. Kindness in the father and obedient devotion in the son. Gentility in the eldest brother and humility and respect in the younger. Righteous behavior in the husband and obedience in the wife. Humane consideration in elders and deference in juniors. Benevolence in rulers and loyalty of ministers and subjects. If these attitudes are practiced, Confucius taught, there will be harmony in society and among all. The most important relationship, he stated, is the family, the basic unit of all humanity. Now, consistent with the pantheistic worldview, he did not believe in an individual self or soul. One's role and relationships define a person. The goal of living is to achieve harmony through acting appropriately in those roles and relationships that you are in. And our family relationship is projected into the life of the community and the world. In the family unit, the father is the key figure. 
he must be a good example to his sons. It is the son's duty to obey without questioning and honoring his father, even after the death of his father. Now, when the father dies, obedience is given to the oldest brother. Confucius stated, Meng, I too, asked about the treatment of parents. And the master said, never disobey. While they are alive, serve them according to ritual. When they die, bury them according to ritual and sacrifice to them according to ritual. Confucius thought that government should be for the people. Feudal lords are to be responsive to the needs of the people at large. If rulers live by the highest principles, the people would then follow and there would be reform from the greatest to the least. The duty of those in subordinate positions is to be unquestioningly loyal to their superior. Confucius stated, It is said that if good people work for a country for a hundred years, it is possible to overcome violence and eliminate killing. This saying is indeed true. So Confucius believed that a good society would be achieved through education. Now there are points of agreement between Confucius and what the Bible teaches. Confucius believed the virtues he espoused are lived out in relationships. And the same is true for what the Bible teaches. But the Bible teaches our relationship with God is first and foremost, and our relationship with God is reflected then and overflows in our relationships with one another. The truth of the Christian life is lived out in community, not in isolation. And indeed, the family is the key social unit, and the father is indeed the leader of the family. However, Christianity takes relationships one step farther than Confucius. Not only can we have the five relationships espoused by Confucius, we can have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, and this is where it all begins. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He stated this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus taught the importance of relationships but the most important one, first and foremost, begins with a relationship from God. It is from this connection our earthly relationships find their greatest meaning. So that is a brief overview of the teachings of Confucius. Now let me summarize giving a final critique of Confucianism. I believe that there is much in the teachings of Confucius that I have found commendable. His moral values often parallel those taught in the Bible. And as previously mentioned, the Bible teaches that we are created in the image of God and therefore we reflect his moral character and his moral law code has been embedded in our hearts according to Romans chapter 2. So most people of Asian descent may not be strict adherents of Confucianism, but they are all influenced by his philosophy. So anyone seeking to serve in Asian cultures would find it worthwhile to read his works. So the moral values of valuing others, of valuing family, of loyalty, of respect that Confucius taught is in accords with what the Bible teaches. So often when I'm in Asian cultures, I don't find much conflict when I'm presenting ethical and moral principles that come from the New Testament. So anyone seeking to serve in Asian cultures would find it worthwhile to read the works of Confucius. 
Now, Confucianism is very adaptable and fluid in its structure. That has been a weakness, but is also a strength of the system since it allows itself to join other inclusive religious systems. As I stated, there are several significant differences and I believe deficiencies within Confucian philosophy. First, Confucianism falls short as a comprehensive life view or worldview because it fails to address several key issues. The Confucian system does not answer the key questions such as why does the universe exist and what explains its origin or what is the meaning of mankind's existence in this universe and what happens after death. These are universal questions that must be addressed. Man is basically a spiritual being and this philosophy leaves one spiritually void. The Bible teaches that God has set eternity in the hearts of all men according to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So the longing for these answers is a universal need. We need to know why does the universe exist? What explains his origin? What explains our origin? The matters of eternity. What happens after death? These are universal questions that every person asks that must be answered. And for this reason, since Confucianism doesn't answer that, the Confucian philosophy eventually combined with Chinese folk religion and Buddhism to fill that spiritual void that is there in the Confucian philosophical system. Second, Confucius taught that there was an overarching morality and will called the mandate of heaven, which guided the universe. Whether he was referring to the impersonal moral principle or a supreme being, he believed one could not communicate with heaven. Confucius stated, heaven does not speak, yet the four seasons run their course thereby. The hundred creatures, each after its kind, are born thereby. Heaven, however, does no speaking. Well, the Bible teaches that we can have a relationship with the one who established the mandate of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth. God is a personal being and he is involved with creation and has made the way for a relationship with possible through his son, Jesus Christ. The creator of all things has communicated to us directly through his word and through his son. And according to Romans chapter 1 and Psalm 19, he also speaks through his creation each and every day. And the creator of the universe invites us to commune with him in prayer and in an intimate fellowship. The imagery of the shepherd and his sheep found in Psalm 23 and John 10 reflect his desire for a close relationship with each person he has created. Of course, John 3.16 states, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The God of the universe so much wanted a relationship with us and wanted us to know him in a deep personal way. God became man and lived here on earth to reveal to us the fullness of who he was in a way that we could understand and relate to. And he died for our sins, making eternal life and a relationship with him possible through the sacrificial death of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the second person of the Trinity, living here amongst us, showing and reflecting to us 
the nature of God and making a personal relationship with God possible through his death and resurrection. Third, Confucius built his philosophy on the belief that man is basically good. However, despite this, Confucius honestly admitted that no one had attained the level of the true gentleman or lived out the ideals and the virtues which he taught. Confucius stated, I, for my part, have never yet seen one who really cared for goodness, nor one who really abhorred wickedness. He said of himself, the way of the true gentlemen are three, and I myself have met with success in none of them. And we can appreciate him for his honesty there. If man is good by nature, though, we must ask the question, why we cannot attain what should be so natural to us. The Bible is built on a contrasting view of man. It teaches that man is created in the image of God, but fallen in sin and in rebellion toward God. Therefore, his natural tendency is to disobey the commands of God and is driven by the desire primarily to please himself. Paul spoke about this struggle in Romans 7.18. He says, I have the desire to do good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So Paul talked about the struggle even we as believers in Christ have, that our flesh constantly battles with our spirit, and our spirit seeks to do good, but the flesh is also there pushing us to sin and rebelling against God. And there's a constant battle within us because we're created in the image of God, yet we are fallen sinful beings. And that is the struggle that is within all believers of Christ. Men who don't know Christ are dominated by the sinful nature and therefore in need of redemption and transformation that only God's truth and God's spirit can do. So good education Confucius taught that man is basically good and can attain the ideal virtuous character through education. And although good education is a positive step towards helping man change, it does indeed fall short. What we are in need of is a mind and heart transformation that occurs when a person enters into a personal relationship with God and then studies the truth of God's word and those truths transform his mind and God's spirit then indwells each believer in Christ and God's spirit transforms one nature through the indwelling and enabling of his Holy Spirit to then transform his nature to become more like that of Christ. You know, I always wonder what Confucius would have said had he been able to study the life of Christ for he said he has never seen anyone who came close to living out the ideals of the true gentleman. He's never met anyone. Yet in reading 
of the life of Christ, we have one who lived a perfect life, a life of no sin. Even the enemies of Christ could not accuse him of any kind of sin. There in one, we have one who truly lived out the moral law code perfectly. And I can't help but wonder if Confucius was able to read about the life of Christ. Would he indeed say, here we have found someone who lives out these virtues perfectly. And here we have found the true gentleman and even more for Christ was able to more than just live a perfectly sinless life. He lived a miraculous life, demonstrating authority over every realm of creation, prophesying and accomplishing his own death and resurrection from the dead. So perhaps if Confucius was able to read about Christ, I don't know, maybe he would have found in him the perfect gentleman and much more. But I can only speculate on how Confucius would have responded reading about the life of Christ. Well, I hope you enjoyed our brief overview and biblical critique of the teachings of Confucius. Confucius teaches many valuable ethical principles that are consistent with biblical teaching. And this offers Christians a good way to build bridges with many in Asian cultures. And we can often ask, what is the basis of this moral law code? A moral law code points to a moral lawgiver. Confucius doesn't give us the basis for the moral law. He just states that it's the mandate of heaven. But where indeed did it come from? The moral law code points to a moral lawgiver. And the great truth is that the Bible teaches we can have a relationship with the one who created the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. Confucius does not address matters of eternity, and the spiritual void in Confucianism presents a great weakness, but a great opportunity for the Christian to present the case for Jesus Christ. Christianity offers a comprehensive life view, which Confucianism does not. For the Bible explains the nature of God, our relationship with him, the origin of creation, why the universe exists, and what happens after death. In Confucian teaching, one cannot communicate with the Creator, but in Christianity, the Creator invites us and makes the way possible for a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Finally, in the Confucian system, true transformation occurs through a lot of self-effort and education, and man is left to transform himself and his culture. However, the Bible teaches that True transformation of one's nature will not occur through education alone. And God does not leave us alone to live the life he commands us to live. But instead, true transformation comes through the transformation of mind and heart. And the transformation of the mind comes through God's word and the believer studying God's word, mastering God's word and allowing it to master him or her, meditating on it, as the Bible says, day and night, through that the transformation of the mind occurs as we replace false thoughts and false ideas with God's truth. And transformation of the heart and one's being comes through the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer in Christ as the believer cooperates with the Holy Spirit, yielding control to the Holy Spirit that indwells in him. Transformation of mind and heart can occur. God does not abandon us to work it out on our own. He provides us the means possible 
to live out Christ's commands. I hope you enjoyed this brief overview of Confucianism and the biblical evaluation that I provided. If you want more information, go to my article on Confucius there at evidenceandanswers.org. And for further study, pick up his book, The Analects. I think you'll find it quite intriguing. So thank you for joining us. Look forward to seeing you again here on Evidence and Answers. For joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and Pat's books. Be sure to share it with your family, your friends, and of course, your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.